0: Well, welcome to part number seven of the pieces of God's big picture. If I can have the first slide. Ah, I was looking there. I need to look there, I guess. Uh, <clears throat> I've attempted to show the six pieces that we've addressed thus far in looking at God's big picture. Uh, the implications of creation, the, God's purpose of praising Him, plans for sinners, grace and faith, patterns we find in the Bible, covenants, kingdoms, and priesthoods. And today, well, we are on lesson number seven, and the title of our lesson today is, God is Faithful, Promises Made, Promises Kept. And what I have there is a picture of two people holding up the pinky promise. Uh, I wonder how many times a day that that promise is made. Uh, Both as kids and adults, we all make promises, don't we? Uh, But not all of those promises are always kept. Uh, And in fact, some people have wondered about the degree to which people uh, have kept their promises and there was a study by the uh, University of Scranton, and they found that only 8% of people achieved their New Year's goals. Uh, another survey was done, and people only 4% of the people believe that politicians ever keep their promises. But interestingly enough, there was a study made of the presidents from 1944, I believe it was, to the present day, and they found that about two-thirds of, of their promises uh, were kept. So maybe we're a little more skeptical of politicians than, than perhaps we should be. But regardless of the reason that uh, we break our promises, uh, we do know that that happens. I suspect all of us have had that happen to us at one point or another, maybe at least once or twice uh, but uh, there's always good intent behind it, I think. But a promise has no more value than the uh, than the ability and the willingness to actually fulfill that promise. So every time we give our word, we're putting our honor on the line. We're implying to the people that we make the promise to uh, that we're a person of integrity and that we will indeed do what we say. And I think it goes without saying, if we don't live up to our word, if we don't keep our promises, then we're going to damage our credibility, uh, our reputation will suffer, and uh, most importantly, perhaps of all, we're actually letting ourselves down. There was a fellow by the name of Niccolo Machiavelli, who was an Italian diplomat politician historian philosopher and uh, he had he lived during the renaissance period he had this statement to uh, make a prince never lacks legitimate reasons to break his promise that term or the term machiavellian has come to uh, represent a person who is evil a person who has little or no morals they're very cunning and deceitful uh, And unfortunately, in Machiavelli's time and in subsequent history, much of Europe reflected more or less the same philosophy of life. And and I would say, unfortunately for us also, that philosophy has made its way across the pond. Uh, Many people in business, politics, and other fields are uh, not very careful about keeping their promises always. Uh, And... Will use uh, whatever means they can to get ahead, but in God's case, nothing that Machiavelli has said can be for, anything he said. Rather, can be uh, cannot be any further from the truth. For God, we read in uh, Joshua twenty-one uh, at verse forty-five the following about God and his promise to Israel. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. And I found an interesting thing. I like to do word studies and I found that in that verse, the word, the same word is used three times. It's translated three different things, but the word word is, or the word is translated word, thing, and spoken. I think it is a play on words, and it's telling us several things about God's Word. God's Word, when He speaks, is a good thing. When He speaks, it does not fail. And when He says it, it happens. It comes to pass. So in other words, when God speaks, it is a promise. It is a fact. In fact, we're reminded, I think, of what is said of creation in the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. God spoke, things happened, and he looked at it and declared, it is good. So we have to conclude, I think, uh, on this basis, but I want to go further and show you other things as well, further proofs. That God keeps his promise. His promise, his word, is truth. It is his will. Uh, And I'm reminded also of what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said of the Father's Word, Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. The Word, God's Word, has the power to set us apart and it has the power to raise us up to the level of holiness. God speaks. It's a promise. It's good. It's true. It has immense power and it cannot, it will not fail. So, for the remainder of the lesson, I want to talk about some of the promises that God has made. And I have been proceeding thus far in chronological order. Uh, I have to go back on my word about that today because I'm going to kind of go back and forth in time and looking at some of God's promises. I, it was the only way I could do it that made any sense to me anyway. First of all, the promises to Abraham uh and this of course is a demonstration i think of god's track record uh you remember uh no doubt that god made three primary promises to abraham the nation promise the land promise and the seed promise and <clears throat> in uh deuteronomy chapter 10 at verse 22 moses was giving one of his history lessons to the uh, uh generation a new generation of israelites And he said this, Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. So I would maintain that the nation promise was kept. God kept his word. Last week I also mentioned in connection with another promise, the land promise, Genesis 15 verse 18, where it describes the land that uh, Abraham would inherit as... It was be from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. In Joshua 21 and verse 43, one of the verses cited here, we read this. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. But when we read the description in that context, it's not quite the same is that in Genesis 15. So we have to go to 1 Kings 4 and verse 21 during the reign of Solomon. So Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. Almost word for word of the words in Genesis chapter 15. I think we should note, hopefully we can certainly conclude at the end of this study, that uh, the Bible records God's promises. And they're recorded in writing. He doesn't uh, hesitate to have us know and to be aware of the promises that he's made. And then when we get to the New Testament, we have to get there before we can really see the fulfillment of the seed promise that God made. And the passages listed here, uh, I think, are worth taking note of. Uh, I won't read the passage, but I'll refer you, and if you want to turn there to Galatians 3, at chapter 13, beginning, there's some really important discussion there, and very enlightening, I think, about the seed promise that God made to Abraham. Of course, we know the seed promise would be the coming of Jesus the Messiah into the world. So in I think that passage makes Five important points, the first point uh, that's made there is God oftentimes makes his promises in a covenant. It's like a legal contract. He declares himself that he what the contract will be, and that his word is good and it cannot be annulled or changed. The second point is that God made the promise to Abraham uh, and it was uh, and the third point was. The law of Moses uh, was given a long time ago, uh, but it was given after the promise was made to Abraham. And then he goes on to make the fourth uh, point based on that timeline. That the inheritance that was promised to Abraham, that is, the land, the nation, the seed, uh, was not based on Moses' law. It was rather a promise. If If it had been based... On uh, Moses' law, it would have been not a promise, but law. And the fifth thing that he uh, point that's made there in verse 18 is God promises and he keeps his promise. So I would suggest that all three of God's promises to Abraham were fulfilled, they were kept. Another thing about the promises of God is he promises victory as he did the people in, uh, in the Exodus. This passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the, Hittisi- the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Havites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. When the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. So even though the Israelites, many, on many occasions in their wanderings, expressed doubt, in fact, open rebellion sometimes to Moses, but of course in reality they were rebelling and rejecting the promises and the leadership of God. They often express doubt about God and his leadership and his ability to deliver. Moses, in his eight sermons in the book of Deuteronomy, rehearsed their past history, and he talks about the future as well. In his uh, sermon in Deuteronomy chapter 7, at verse 1 and 2, he reminds them of God's promise, the promise to conquer the land, and to cast out those nations. And one of the things that's interesting about those nations, notice he uses the word greater and mightier than you. But nevertheless, God gave them deliverance. He gave them the victory. He assured them that he would, and indeed he did. Last week, uh, as I suggested, covenants looked both backward and forward. Well, this is a reminder of the covenant and it is looking back and it's also looking forward to a time that they would be able to conquer these lands. And in Christ, of course, we know we have a promise of victory. First Corinthians 15 on the resurrection has these words beginning at verse 55. O death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word gives there is a word that's in the present tense, interestingly enough, and it carries the sense of continuing on. So God promises and has and does and will give the victory. God, as we discussed last week, is also a God who keeps His covenant. This passage uh, in uh, continues on in Moses' sermon in uh, Deuteronomy 7. But because the Lord loves you, and because he, he would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you with, from the house of bondage, from the land, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, He is God. He is faithful, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. That expression, mighty hand, that's used there in that passage is an expression or a description of God's ability the power, the might that he has to deliver on his promises I would suggest to us that God already we've seen has a proven track record he says even to a thousand generations he will remember God does not forget but He also doesn't let us forget as well. God is a God of remembrance. Uh, This chart depicts what the Israelites did during the time of the law of Moses to remember, to remember their deliverance from the captivity, from slavery in Egypt. Uh, And the method that God used was the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost. And again, we Christians are given a means of remembrance, not monthly, but weekly in the Lord's Supper. It is our remembrance of our deliverance from sin and death, and we know that it is possible because of the blood of the Lamb. God remembers, and He helps us remember as well and we have a God who keeps his judgments. And this is part of the final sermon that Moses gives in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 28, we find there a series of two parts. One is a a list of blessings that God promises to those who are obedient, and a list of cursings to those who are disobedient. Notice in verses 47 through 50 in Deuteronomy 28. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart or the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything. And He will put a yoke of iron on your neck until He has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar. And this is a forecast of the distant future from the end of the earth as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. So the Israelites were gathered on Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, and they heard both sides of, uh, of the equation, so to speak, God's promises and his cursings if they disobeyed. So this is the voice of God himself speaking through Moses. That nation that was predicted that would destroy them uh, could refer to Babylon. Some suggest it refers later on to the Roman Empire. Either case, the uh, prediction and, and the promise for disobedience and the consequences uh, came about because God remembers his blessings, but he also remembers and keeps the promises of his wrath. Uh, and we must not forget either. We remember and, of course, speak often, and in our songs, in our prayers, in our sermons, we speak of God's love, mercy, grace, Forgiveness, but uh, we also need to remember that he's a God of wrath for those who are disobedient. There's another aspect of God's nature in terms of keeping his promises. God is always faithful to preserve a remnant, and perhaps I need to explain what I mean by that. Uh, He demonstrates his faithfulness by delivering a remnant. A remnant is a small fragment, as you might guess, that's left over from a larger entity. And it usually meant a small group of faithful people who were delivered from evil, even though many were punished uh, by God's wrath. Uh, And I want to speak about some of those and cite some examples of those because they show God's faithfulness. But first of all, just a note of caution. Uh, I found some 80 references to remnants in the Old Testament. But uh, not all of those are about a good thing. Some of those are about bad bad uh, remnants left over. But uh, we see that same sort of misapplication of one of these remnants in the doctrine of premillennialism. They take the idea of a rapture and totally misrepresent the remnant that God is speaking of. But notice some of these remnants, if you will. First of all, after the flood, uh, what was left over was one family, just a tiny remnant of all of mankind. One righteous man was saved. Then there's a Lot in his family in their deliverance from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, a very tiny remnant out of those uh, two great cities. The nation of Israel, in a very real sense, is a remnant. They, of course, were a a small remnant of the population of the world, Abraham's descendants. And then God continued to narrow that down to the uh, descendants of Isaac, to the descendants of Jacob. And finally, he narrowed it down even to the tribe of Judah that would be the one that would bring about the fulfillment of the seed promise and be the uh, land of kings. The prophet Elijah, when he was very much in fear of his life because of Jezebel, uh, he expressed to God that he he was all alone. Uh, But God reminded him that there were still some 7,000 righteous men, prophets, who had not bowed down to the... Uh, idol Baal, and this passage that's given below uh, is a part of a passage that uh, Jeremiah promised or prophesied rather when he was talking about a faithful remnant uh, of the people of Israel, but I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I've driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase the people of of uh, Judah were in captivity in Babylon they were had been there many decades and and were getting low on hope of ever being delivered. but the prophet Jeremiah is offering them a hope in terms of this remnant that will be brought back brought back from Babylonian captivity. Uh, the prophet Micah. There's another who spoke of this remnant of Judah returning. Zephaniah is another who talked about uh, a righteous or faithful remnant that would uh, return to the land which God had given them. And the idea of a remnant plays out in our day and time as well in Christianity. The uh, inspired apostle Paul in Romans 9 At verse 27, he quotes one of the prophecies of Isaiah about the uh, remnant that would come back from Judah. And he applies that in a way uh, to the time that he was writing. He applies it to the remnant of Jews uh, that would be saved by Christ. And most of the Jews, of course, rejected Jesus. And even today, many of them refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 9 says that they stumbled at the stumbling stone, that is, Jesus. So, in the case of the Jews, only a remnant of them will be saved. And then there's the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven fourteen. Because narrow is the gate, difficult is the way which leads to life, there are few a remnant, who find it. This uh, idea of a remnant uh, shows, I think, that God uh, is a keeper of his covenant. Uh, It validates the whole idea of covenants. It shows that God, first of all, that he's just, but it also shows uh, that he can and will punish the disobedient in his wrath. So he's a faithful savior, a faithful deliverer, and he will keep his covenant and deliver the remnant. This passage from Isaiah speaks of the duration of God's promises. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. Remember, we are talking about God's big picture, the very plan that He put in place before time began, long, long ago. And Isaiah is making reference to that. God is faithful forever, and he is forever faithful. He will adhere to His promises that He has made so that He can indeed uh, deliver on the plan that He put in place uh, before time began. And it is it behooves us to fulfill the purpose that God has given us, that is to exalt Him and to praise Him and to praise His perfect faithfulness. In this... uh, in this next slide, and that's the text may be difficult to read, this is an advance notice of the final covenant that God would give to mankind. It's given by Jeremiah, prophesied by him, in Jeremiah 31. And in this case, Jeremiah is still speaking to the people in Babylon in captivity, and he's bringing hope to them. He says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord, or they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. There's some three or four points I'd like to point out in this passage. In verse 31 it says, He is looking forward. Uh, behold, the days are coming to this new covenant that God is going to bring about. In verse 32, it's going to be a different uh, and a new kind of covenant. And of course, the Israelites had proven over and over again that they could not keep God's covenant. It was impossible for them. We talked about some of their cycles of sin and then deliverance and then falling back into sin again. In verse 33, it points out that this new law is a matter of the heart. It's an internal thing. And in verse 34... Uh, It recognizes the fact that they're in captivity and offers hope, the hope of forgiveness. And of course, that's a hope for us as well. They were in captivity because of their sins and sin makes us captive as well. But this new covenant provides hope. It provides salvation. That completes dot org.